This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Blood. V with blood and they join us in the studio. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here today. You did that in Brussels, that track, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was put, put together in, in Brussels. In eight months it took. Yeah, well, that particular track uh, was about eight, eight months. That's including the mixing, though. Wow. Um, but you've got a great result with it. Like, there's a lot of depth to the mixing there, to the oh, production, yeah. and to your vocals. Mm, well, um, actually, a, a local sound technician, Ruby Burns, actually uh, mixed and mastered that one for me. Um, she's incredible. She's actually mixed my whole album. 
Wow. So you describe yourself as a dark wave supernova. What does that mean? <laughs> well, um, well, when I say dark wave, I'm mainly referencing this kind of, you know, the like no wave and synth wave. Like dark wave is a scene that emerged from the 80s, very influenced by goth music and punk music. It was generally, um, you know, kind of around France and Germany. So, um, yeah, I think living in Germany really influenced me to, to picking up that kind of style. I just, I love all those 80, 80s bands. You're a big advocate of refugees. Of course, you're performing on Sunday at uh, the Rise Up Benefit for survivors, if you like, of Australia's horrendous refugee detention system. You've just come back from Germany. What's the difference between the mood, if you like, in Australia towards refugees and Germany? Well... That's a really loaded question. It's because um, you've got the rise of the far right in Germany, as you have here. But yeah, well, the thing is, see, I lived in Berlin, and Berlin is kind of like an island of left-sided people within, you know, generally the rest. You know, when you go to the villages and stuff, it's quite right-sided, quite racist. Um, so you didn't see much right-wing activity in Berlin. Look, every May Day, um, that's the kind of day that all the neo-Nazis come out and protest. Um, they, they, you know, show their ugly selves. Um, and it, the, the protest is pretty big. Like, uh, the counter-protest is even bigger. But, I mean, I remember one year I was in Leipzig for May Day and it was terrifying because it was the first time I ever saw the anti-fascists completely outnumbered by the neo-Nazis. And, of course, the police are there and they're protecting the neo-Nazis, I mean, supposedly for free speech. I think one of the big differences between Australia and Germany, at least, is in Germany you can actually see, the you know, refugees, you can see them, like, on the streets and, um, you know big lines outside um, registration centres and things. Like, it's it's overwhelming there. Um, and here, you know, it's all hidden away, um, you know, behind closed doors on Nauru and so forth. Um, yeah. So Angela Merkel, of course, opened the country up to, to people from Syria. Do you think that that really evoked the, the far right and gave it impetus in, in Germany? Because they almost won the election, yeah? Yeah, it was all, the far right was already pretty prominent. Like, it's mainly this one group called um, Pediga, and they're kind of anti, I don't know, they're like anti-Islam, just disgusting people, um, and they would actually do a monthly rally in Dresden, I think, and they were, could attract crowds of up to 60,000 people. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, but yeah, you know, I never thought much about Angela Merkel until she, um, you know, did open up the borders. And I, I have a lot of respect for her because she, she lost a lot of um, voters because of that and uh, people turned against her. So, um, and she's also part of the, the party is the Christian Democratic Union as well. So that's another layer of weirdness to it all. But no, I have a lot of respect for Merkel for doing that and to continue to do it as well. The Australian music industry is seen very much as a boys club. You've been in Berlin, you've been in Brussels, you did your album, you, you about to be released album, So Pure, in Brussels. Uh, what's the difference between the music industry in Melbourne compared to Berlin and Brussels insofar as mm. women are concerned? Well, I think the biggest difference is the DIY scene. So 
there is, you know, a little bit of a DOI scene here. And it exists, but there's just not the infrastructure for the same kind of venues that we have in Brussels and Germany. So in Brussels and Germany, you have loads of actual squats. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're left-sided activists, they're antifa. So you have a lot of women um, and, you know, non-binary people, um, you know, operating those spaces. Uh, At squats doing gigs. Absolutely, absolutely. So it takes the pubs out of the system. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the best thing about it. You know, here it's like there's not many options to for venues. You go to a bar, you go to a pub, they're expensive. Absolutely. And, and the bars and pubs here, they don't give a shit about the musicians. They, they just want people in the door buying their beers. There's no politics behind it, generally. I mean, we had hot shots in Footscray, um, which has unfortunately shut down, and that was the closest I ever felt to being back in Europe was being in that venue. So you think that really in, in Berlin, for example, politics comes out much more in people's music Absolute, and the sound compared to here. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, even all the venues, they, I'm, I'm starting to see it a little bit more here, but... Pretty much every single underground venue there, you'll have a sign above the bar that says no racism, no fa- um, fascism, no transphobia, no homophobia. If you have uh, a problem, if someone's bothering you, come come and tell us at the bar. Like there's a lot of accountability there, whereas I feel like it's just not as much of a thing over here. Do you feel that musicians here often avoid politics? It depends. I think in the queer scene, um, no. It's they very much, we very much engage with it. Um, however, when you kind of get, you know, into that rock dog scene or anything, it's it's totally apolitical. Because the Australian music scene, the queer side of it, doesn't really rock. It sounds like it does in Berlin. Yeah. Oh, it's it's enormous. Although I have to say, I've been so present, pleasantly surprised. Really? Yeah. By the queer scene here, it's just like it's even so, the live music. Absolutely, wow. it's a really tight knit community. Um, I'd say it veers a little bit more on the the side of like electronic music here and like synth based music, whereas um, over there, I mean, even in England, they have a festival. Oh, what's it called? It's got a great name. I can't think of it right now, but um, they they bring queer punk bands from all over Europe and they play in London, and you know, it's it's a thing over there. And I haven't really seen anything I can compare to that here. So the queer, the queer music scene in Berlin, for example, it's grungier, it's punkier, it's got more of a kind of a left-wing anarchist kind of political mood Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. But then there's also the other side, you know, this right. kind of, you know, chem parties, techno, yeah. that, that, and that's, you know, massive in Berlin. You know, the Berghain, um, which is, you know, church, the church of Sodom. <laughs> um, <laughs> The Church of Sodom. Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, people call it church. Well, they don't necessarily call it Church of Sodom, but they call it church because, well, it's one of the biggest techno clubs in Europe. They have the most expensive sound system, like the best sound system, and people go there on a Sunday because it's kind of – and, they'll you know, they'll spend a, a full 24 hours in the club just partying in, in the darkness. Um, and, you know, so there's also – a couple of different clubs inside the club and it's very much like a a gay club, like a queer club, as much as it's mainstream. Um, Because the sex on premises side to the clubbing scene here in Melbourne has kind of really kind of, you know, contracted, especially since the the same-sex marriage debate became so intense. Yeah. Uh, But it's not the case in Berlin. Oh, it's absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't... Sounds rampant. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily call it mainstream, but I mean, one of the most popular 
club night, which is, of course, a queer club night because we make the best music, um, is called Gagan. It's been running for about two years and it runs out of a club called the Kit Kat Club, which is a sex fetish club. So I actually played a show there with um, my old band Transylvania and there was literally people copulating around the stage while we were playing you know it's a kind of club where there's people dancing on the dance floor and there's people you know doing sex acts all around you no one bats an eye it's it's you know it's normal and whereas here you'd lose your license these days yeah yeah i mean it just wouldn't be on over here so the gay scene and the gay music scene the queer music scene the lgbti music scene in Brussels, is it similar to, to Berlin? Um, well, Brussels or is... Smaller. It's Brussels is much smaller than Berlin. Um, it, it, it does exist there. There's actually like a tiny street in the city which is about... There's about five bars there and they're all gay bars. And um, I spent a lot of time hanging out around there. And, they, you know, there was an, a little art gallery there as well. But definitely that it's not the same level of like techno craziness and big clubs in in Brussels it's more about these smaller kind of squats um over there which yeah has a dual purpose it's like they're not they're not only you know queer spaces it's just for everyone but they're all political as well your new album so pure what kind of political themes drive it um well or themes around identity yeah, well, all of my music is all about love. And, um, I mean, this one, I mean, it's extremely dark. It's, um, yeah. It's dark pro- love. Yeah, just, just, yeah, it's very sad and very dark. It's about, yeah, someone who, who's no longer here. Um, so, yeah, just, just it was written for them, um, that the whole album. And How many tracks on the album? 13 unlucky tracks. And five years in the making? <laughs> yeah, five years in the making. Wow. Was it was it difficult to make it financially or, or why why did it take five years? Was it just a labour of love? Um, uh, I mean, if you if you look at if you listen to Blood, you can you've reaped the benefit of the time, I think. Yeah, it, it's absolutely been a labour of love. I mean Side B was written or that was written five years ago and I knew that I wanted to make it part of a bigger work. So when I was t- on tour with my other band, Holy Six, probably about three years ago now, uh, I had my computer on tour and I ended up making the instrumentals for what later became Side A. And when I was in Brussels, I, I laid down all the bass and I wrote all the lyrics for it. Um, and I mean, I think a big, big part of why it took so long is just it's as a solo artist, it's so hard to, you know, let things go and think, OK, it's finished now. You know, if I, you know, if I hadn't have brought on um, Ruby Burns as a mixer, I'd probably still be working on it now. You know, it's one of those things you could just I could just keep working on it and tweaking it forever. But there does get a point where you just have to be. No, it's time. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to ask you a question. When we were having a chat outside in the courtyard, you were saying um, how a lot of people involved in the, um, in the new album, So Pure, um, come from a female-identifying sort of perspective. Yeah. I just want to ask you how important is it for you to have those, um, to, to provide that platform, but to have that group of women uh, um, you know, collected and working on that album? It's crucial, crucial for me. Like, obviously being a female-identified, well, vaguely female-identified person in the music scene, you know, it's hard to have your voice heard. And I think 
if we want to be heard, we, we need to lift each other up. And, I mean, yeah, like I was telling you, um, I and for the first album, first V album and this album, I intentionally kept, yeah, the whole line of production from, um, yeah, beginning to, like, mixing and mastering all female. Just, yeah, just just to lift us up, just to, you know be part of the movement that, that you know, continues, you know, and, and gives us all a voice and gives us money too. It's been really important for me to pay everybody as well, um, pay everybody fairly who's been working on this album. Um, I'm, I'm still like, uh, you know, I've got a whole bunch of invoices I still need to pay. and um, But, yeah, I think it's like I, I'm never going to ask anyone to work for free because, you know, that's really damaging, I think, as an artist to be to have your labour used for free. And it makes, yeah, it makes artists feel worthless when if you don't get paid for your work. Speaking of your work, you'll be performing at Rise Up. It's this Sunday, uh, the 18th, at the Heron Club. It's at 228 Nicholson Street in Footscray. You've got a residency coming up for all of March yeah. at the Tote. In Collingwood, so people can rock along and see you there. And we have a track to go out with from the interview uh, from So Pure. It's been awesome having you on board. Thank you so much. This is Laloon.
Marilyn Manson there with his rendition of Personal Jesus. It's 4.36 on In Your Face on 3CR with James and MV. And we are joined by controversial artist Ashley Lang. Ashley, welcome to In Your Face on 3CR. Hi, thanks for having me. You're no stranger to controversy. Of course, recently your work of a person in a burqa-like Australian flag draped around them was up on the wall in Tallangatta here in regional Australia, and uh, it lasted 48 hours on that wall. Tell us about the controversy. Yeah, look, I guess this work is part of a project that I got funding for from the Australian Council on Regional Arts Victoria to place the work of four Australian contemporary artists within the expatriated streetscape of Talangata. So people had donated their walls in, of businesses in the town and each artist has those walls for three months each to place work in it. The work, well, I've always worked with the politics of belonging um, and one of the I've worked, I made a niqab back in 2013, and I've continued to make work using that object. And for this work, I took a photograph of myself in the niqab and then did a large-scale paste up on a building. The work was taken down by the building owners because of the controversy surrounding the symbolism within it. And then subsequently, well, before that, a Facebook campaign started um, saying that the work was disrespectful and... um, not what they wanted to see. To what extent has the controversy affected your relationships uh, with the town's community generally? Uh, look, it's been, you know, it's the loud minority um, that are actually not approving of it. So the people with, you know, the biggest voices are actually a minority. Um, it's been a very interesting process and a big learning curve in sort of um, placing that kind of art uh, in places like this. In the city, it would probably be overlooked. Um, but in a rural township of 900 people, um, it's very in your face. I Have think, you got much support from the local community? Oh, absolutely. Look, and that's, not, and that's the interesting thing about the work, that, you know, the support has come from people that we bump into at the supermarket. A lot of face-to-face support. People have rung me um, with their support. They've messaged me via email, etc. Um, and also, we have a small business here. Um, and a lot of people coming into our cafe um, and having amazing conversations. Um, Stuff that doesn't happen on social media. Um, You know, it's a very reactive space, social media, so it's actually people responding to the work and coming to talk to me and having some amazing conversations about what that means, yeah. You're no stranger to politically loaded art. Tell us about some of the other projects you've worked on that have been politically loaded. Oh, look, I guess all my work is politically loaded and I'm really interested in the um, politics of belonging and what that means to be, um, to belong to something. And, you know, the, the codes and all of that that we use to identify ourselves within, social, within certain subcultures. I guess one of the really confronting work, images about this or confronting ideas about this work is that it actually tackles you know, what are people, it's been sort of called, you know, offensive. And I keep wondering, you know, what's offensive? Is it the Australian flag? Is it the niqab? Is it Muslims in Australia? Is it immigration? Is it the suppression of women? You know, or are we just fearful of our own ignorance? You know, they're the questions that I kind of ask within the work. But for me, you know, the work is more about intolerance. Um, And I just kind of wonder through making that image you know, that art meaning isn't fixed. Um, you know, it's constantly changes with people viewing it 
etc. And I believe that's like the identity of Australia and what it means to be Australian. Being Australian isn't a singular identity and nor is it fixed. And that's kind of what I'm trying to talk about within that work. Your work also covers sexual identities. What aspects of sexual identity are you currently most interested in? Oh, look, I think, you know, the fluidity of gender, the fluidity of um, the sex body in some ways, um, and just the, the, you know, just being able to be who you are, how you want to be in a place that you want to do it in. So, Which is really fascinating in a country town. Yeah, look, I mean, I grew up in the country town, you know, and moved, spent 25 years away from the country town, and it was really hard being a queer male who was into tap dancing and ballroom dancing while everybody else was out playing football and soccer. But you went back. Yeah, and I, I you know, circumstances brought me back here and it's a really cheap place to, to live. Um, and it gives me a lot of time to sort of read and focus on my own practice. And also starting to, you know, I feel a bit like since I've been with my partner and we have, a, as I said, we have a business here, you know, we've started to sort of break down you know, some of the, I don't know, the walls around, you know, the queers in town or the fags in town or whatever, you know, we're being labelled as and actually being seen as people. And I there was an amazing um, um, thing on ABC the other day with a local trans person um, who wanted to join the football and, you know, finally got through to the football. And I guess, you know, those things are happening in really grassroots local rural spaces as well as in the city and they've even got a louder voice here because it is so micro you know that the community is so micro i guess um and i think that's a really powerful voice to have and a really huge responsibility and presenting these things to these kinds of communities and not every you know it's a very diverse community here as well don't get me wrong um I just think that, you know, there's a great space for change to happen within that, whether that be through art, music, or just being yourself. You're really interested in the notion of safe space in contemporary society. Tell us more about that theme yeah, and why it appeals to you so much. I just, I just think from my own experience that, you know, as I said, growing up in a small town and then going into the cities and finding spaces in which you belong and feel comfortable and safe. Because it seems increasingly difficult for people to find that, doesn't it, that sense of safety. What do you think is creating that? Is it, is it the digital age, the internet age that's doing that? Why, why do you think so many people struggle to find that contemporary sense of safe space? Yeah, something I'll keep working through. I really don't know. And, I re- you know, the point that you touched on there with social media or, you know, the internet, I think is a really, it's a really negative space in a lot of ways yeah. where people, you know, keyboard, the, the abuse that I've got directly and indirectly from social media about this work has been really, really appalling because it just, it's just people not being able to respond. They're just reacting and because they're they're in the privacy of their own home, there's no filter and there's no conversation. It's just like, you know, I have an opinion and that's more valuable than knowledge. And I don't think it's... I think it's the other way around. It's like you need to have some kind of knowledge in order to form an opinion. And, you know, to do that in isolation and be surrounded by groups that you join on those platforms that just reiterate the same beliefs that you have is a really... Um, 
negative environment, I believe. Have you been targeted by groups because of your work, such as far-right-wing groups, uh, anti-refugee groups, for example? Oh, look, I think it just comes with the rhetoric of those people responding within that way. I think that, yeah, look, you know, the, the group that is the group that got the work shut down... Uh, so it was a group, it wasn't just individuals arcing up, it was actually a group? Uh, look, I think it was because it was a closed group, which is the local community page here, um, a Facebook page. Um, so it was a, very, a minority within that um, space that voiced, you know, their, their, you know, their abhorrence about it and, yeah, kind of facilitated the shutting down of the work. Ash, it's MV here. Yep. Good to speak with you. Yeah, you too. Um, Ash, this isn't the first time you've used the Australian flag in some of your work. I think in 2013 you did a work called Flag or Flagman Actioned. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously that's uh, a little bit controversial. There's um, In the background there's a picture of... That's in Canberra, right? Yeah. And then there's, a, and then there's you sort of draped in a, a, a one-piece... Australian flag. Well, yeah, so, yeah, it's a onesie flag. I like that. Yeah, yeah. well, it's actually like I painted a, a really bad crude um, <laughs> painting in my studio of um, Parliament House, and I bought a uh, an Australian flag onesie on eBay or something like that. And basically, it's you know kind of like a running suit um, mm. with a zip up the back. Um, and basically, I set up a whole bunch of. Um, Studio shots in front of in that, and also a video where I danced um, in front of that, and it was called Flag Manned Action, um, and the L in flag was bracketed so you could read it as Fag Man or Flag Man. And has that gone up on the internet? Uh, it's been look. It was part of. It actually was a finalist in um, the Bowen Prize. Bowness Prize. Oh, what's it called? The, um, it a, a Brown, Brownleys, I think it was. Yeah, right? the Bowness Prize or yeah, something in, in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And. Look, it's funny because that work is really... When I did my artist talk here recently, um, that work, you know, always gets laughter and hilarity. And and I was kind of like saying, well, you know, if you're going on about how the, the treatment of the Australian flag, why is this one hilarious, yet this one of me in a niqab isn't? And what know? do people say? They, 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 can't, they can't answer. It's really, it's really funny. And they go, oh, it's not about the niqab or it's not about Muslims. Um, and then we sort of asked, asked this guy one day, sort of, he was like, oh, I didn't really like the way you used the Australian flag in that work. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, why is that? And he said, well, you know, it's just disrespectful. And I said, well, if I had made a three-piece, you know, if it was a gentleman dressed in a three-piece suit made of the Australian flag, would you have the same reaction? And he went, oh, no. And it's like, okay, so the imagery around what it being in the carb is what you're having the reaction too. It's interesting, isn't it, when you dissect people's reactions with them uh, and point out the hypocrisy that they kind of, they, they sometimes get it, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's about being willing to have that. And, you know, and that's been a really full-on thing for me in this small town is to actually, you know, there was so much media around it locally that was just really intimidating. Um, and I Really? Went in what it. way? Oh, just that, you know, I was exhausted. Right. <laughs> Because um, of the saturation? Having, pardon? The saturation, the intensity of the attention and, and yeah. how frequent it was? And just, you know, I just put the work up, which took a week to install. There are three there are three different walls, and the biggest wall is five metres by nine metres. So, you know, that involves scissor lifts and all it's sorts of things. a big job. Yeah, so installing three works, and then, 
you kind of think, oh, I've done it. I'm in for a rest. You know, I've just got my artist talk to do. And then next minute, it's this controversy, which, you know, I knew the work would be controversial. Um, it and- sounds like they should expect your work to be controversial by, by now. You're no stranger to the local community. Yeah, and that was the interesting thing too, um, that it wasn't, you know, my work has been accessible, I have a website, you know. They'd be disappointed, or some people would be disappointed if it wasn't controversial. <laughs> They'd be saying, what are you doing? Get your act together. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and again, just just throwing stuff out there for people to sort of digest, you know, not necessarily, you know, just to mull over even. You don't have to like it. Um, but, you you know, what, what, are you in, what, what aren't you liking about it? What is it in you that is bringing this this feeling or this emotion or this reaction? Um, but it's just funny that people, well, some people aren't willing to go there. What's in the pipeline? I know you're exhausted, but surely there's some artistic juices flowing and another project in your head and probably <laughs> yeah. about to emerge. Yeah, well, look, this project still um, runs until um, July. And so the next artist is Raquel Ormello, who's a Canberra-based artist, lecturer at ANU. And then there's another local Tulangata artist, Belinda Fraser, who will be the last two months of this project. I also have a show opening at Murray Art Museum Aubrey, or MAMA, um, in June, late June. Um, and I was going to do a different work, but the, I'm using... So I've been doing screenshots. I haven't read all of these responses um, on Facebook about this particular work, but I'm going to start using um, those reactions um, to facilitate or make the new... Well, basically, that will be the new work, um, and I'm just working out how I'm going to present. That's the ultimate revenge, isn't it? Taking yeah. their comments and making it part of the artwork that's that's probably even more controversial. Yeah, and that's the great thing. It's just kind of like, it's like, oh, wow, people, you're making my work for me. Did you know that? You know? Um, and so sort of... In, and, of course, you know, I'll always use the flag. Flags are really representative... Um, for me. And Especially really, now in this era of increasing nationalism. Yeah. Oh, look, and it's just something that I fight with every day is just, you know, I'm not patriotic. Um, I love living in Australia, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I'm not blinded by this sense of where I was born makes me better than anybody else. And if I don't like something, you know, I'm a traitor or... Is that know, a theme that you hear a lot in the country? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it sounds like it's quite dominant in terms of the discourse about national identity at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's blinded. And that's the, the really horrible thing. And I guess that, um, you know, what, what this work actually articulates in some way is that, um, you know, the Australian flag has been colonialised, I guess, by, you know, faction within our own communities. And it represents to vilify and ostracise other um, so the people that are claiming the flag so, you know, passionately here are people who, if you don't believe what I think, then you're, you know, you might as well be dead. Um, and that's a strong vibe that I get from a not from a from a particular from a particular group within Australia because I think this is all over the place. Absolutely. You know, you see the four-wheel drives or the utes with the Australian flag on them. And now I've started to see the Iron Cross represented on cars, and I'm just thinking, oh, my God, what really? is that about? Yeah, it's like utes. With How common is that in Tallangatta? Oh, look, no, it was more sort of we just went for a trip to Canberra and we're driving, you know, back roads to Canberra, and it was like, oh, my God, what's with this Iron Cross now? 
What is with this Iron Cross? What does it mean? Well, the Iron Cross is something which I've just started researching, which is something from, you know, World War II, I believe. Um, and it, it's a German bravery um, medal. The English have also used it, a similar cross called the Victoria Cross as a bravery um, medal. Um, but I've also been researching a lot into it, and the fascists also claimed it. Um, because it kind of flies in the face of, you know, being patriotic, having a German Iron Cross yeah. as, a, as a symbol of Australian national identity yeah. or patriotism. That just seems to be almost um, traitorous, you could yeah. argue. Well, I'm just wondering why, and that's something yeah, that I'm starting why? to research, is that, you know, are people just grabbing things to rep- – what are they trying to represent through their, you know, appropriation of – symbols and things like that. Are they identifying more with fascism? Do, yeah. they, do they have anti-democratic views that they think, well, are okay because of their disillusionment with the Australian political system? And it's interesting that, you know, you saw all these iron crosses on the on the way to Canberra, the yeah. capital. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also just that kind of um, the non-thinking, you know, the non... There's a lot in contemporary society which, you know, people aren't, in, people aren't willing to think anymore. And I think with conceptual art... You know, um, I was chatting with a lecturer up at ANU and she was sort of saying that, you know, Australia's always had a problem with conceptual art um, because people can't engage in the kind of thinking behind it. We're so used to this kind of visual presentation. And when we get something a little bit conceptual, such as, you know, a man who's got red hair or ginger eyebrows with blue eyes in a burqa or, sorry, in a cub, you know, it's an Australian flag. Yeah. And it's a onesie. <laughs> yeah, like they can't start to sort of break it down because they can only read the surface of it, which is, you know, the, the, the stuff that's in the current media. Um, and, you know, a lot of people get their news from places like Today Tonight and all that kind of stuff. So there's this, you know, ball of fear that just keeps um, perpetuating that, that ideal. Ash. We'll need to just wrap it up there, but I do want to know, you did say the project is running until July. This is the Building Art on Walls project? Is that yeah, right? Where can so, people get more information on that? Yeah, so Building Art on Walls is the name of the project. Um, there is a Facebook page for that and an Instagram feed for that. So um, if people tap into either of those platforms, they'll be able to find out more. Ashley Lang, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. I could talk to you all day. We'll have to have you back. Uh, your work sounds incredible. Uh, I love the video. I love the uh, I love the wall project. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks on so much for having me. Thanks heaps, Ash. Take care. You Cheers. Controversial artist Ashley Lang there. It is five to five. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with MV and James, but not for much longer. Just keep in mind it is subscriber drive. Go to 3cr.org.au to subscribe or renew your subscription, or you can give us a call, 94198377. We are out of here. MV, it's been absolutely great having Thank you in Thank you so studio. much. And also thanks to V, and good luck with all her endeavours over the weekend and the coming weeks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of Independent Community Radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.